Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hi, welcome to The Naked Podcaster with Jen Taylor. Today I'm here with Lisa Tahir. I, I pronounced everything correctly? You have, yes. Look at that. Lisa, I'm so excited to have you on. We have chatted and I am really ecstatic to talk to you today. Jen, thank you for having me on. I'm so delighted to be here today as your guest. So I know a lot about what you do, but let's assume I didn't. Tell me, okay. Lisa, who are you and what things do you do? Because it's so exciting. It's so great what you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you. I am Lisa Tahir. Professionally, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I have been for 20 years. I am in New Orleans today during our interview where I was born and raised. Four and a half years ago, I expanded and opened an office and set up a life in Los Angeles, California. And I live in between both cities. I spend about two months in each location back and forth. And that has brought me a lot of personal joy to be able to live this dream step by step. And I've grown a lot as a result of the process. And I'm a podcast host also, as you know, and you'll be coming on my show. Uh, The podcast is called All Things Therapy. And each Thursday, I interview a guest doing something that is changing consciousness one conversation at a time. And so I look forward to when you are my guest. And I, I've done that for three years, three and a half years, every week. And it's just been wonderful. And that started in LA, correct? That, it's like a radio I start, show podcast? I, I, it's LA talk radio, internet based. However, I do it from anywhere because we do it through Skype, much like you do your show from right. anywhere. So that allows me to meet and interview all kinds of guests who live anywhere in the world. And um, it's just been really great to do that. Tell me about some of the work you've done, because I know you do the, um, I always get the acronym wrong, EMDR? Yes, you, you got it. All right. That's, uh, yeah, eye movement sensitization reprocessing, EI movement, yeah, desensitization reprocessing, which is a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. I've worked with a lot of people that experience, have experienced family violence and abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, neglect, and EMDR is a way that bypasses talking about the story and gets into the, the brain patterns. And I have clients follow a pen, left to right, bilateral stimulation, left and right hemispheres of the brain as they hold in their mind a traumatic memory that we have agreed to work on. And through the process, the memory becomes less emotionally charged for them. And it works for some people, not for others. So it's something I like to try. And if it doesn't work, then we find another way to promote healing. It's just one way. And you really, do you specialize with post-traumatic stress? And mostly from violence, because a lot of post-traumatic stress is military-related when we hear about it in the media. 
Yeah, that's how post-traumatic stress disorder first got in the mainstream dialect was from veterans coming back from war and exhibiting the symptoms. And we've learned, as most people, as you know, and most people listening know, that, that domestic violence, abuse, neglect, trauma causes the same symptoms, hyperarousal, hypervigilance, a hard time sleeping and eating, traumatic, intrusive traumatic memories, an exaggerated startle response. So actually, for, I've practiced 20 years, and for probably the first <coughs> 10 to 15 years, I did a lot of trauma work, and that was a specialization. I still love doing some of it. It's also really challenging yeah. and hard to be in that space with someone in that kind of pain. And I realized that I had to expand and begin to work with couples. I love working with adolescents. I have a lot of adolescent clients right now that I just love so much. So I've diversified my practice to include other issues that people experience throughout their lifespans so that I could, I could maintain my mental health and well-being better. Which is pretty important because you're dealing with some of the toughest stuff, the toughest traumas people have gone through. Yeah. And then I know yeah, you are exactly. a published author. Correct? Your book. Thank you. I actually yeah. just received uh, Yeah. I just I just received the publishing deal last week that we are about to sign on. So, thank you for that. In 2020, The Psycho Astrology of Chiron will be released and available on Amazon and bookstores. People can learn more by going to nolatherapy.com and signing up joining my email list. And I'll be sending out more in information as that unfolds. And then I'm just shouting out your praises. In 2015, in New Orleans, you were awarded Women of the Year as yes. well. Yes. Thank you. That yeah, is these are big deals. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jen. I uh, started a nonprofit called the Yes Foundation, Inc. It's the Yes Foundation, Inc. Com. And when my best friend's husband was disabled and put in a wheelchair from falling off a ladder, it caused me to rethink just a lot of things in my own life. And one of my therapy modalities is I'm a glass artist. I love casting glass. I love blowing glass sculpture. And it is not ADA compliant, Americans with Disabilities Act compliant. So if you're in a wheelchair, there is not a way for you to easily blow glass or cast glass. And so I established a nonprofit and I patented an invention for people in their wheelchairs to blow glass and cast glass and launched the Yes Foundation. And that landed me a top woman in business in 2015. And I actually just partnered with Wounded Warriors in the last couple of weeks to work with their veterans in wheelchairs at a glass facility in New Orleans coming up in the next year. That is amazing. I love that. So that's really exciting for me. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Thank you. I love that. So I want to take it back in time. Tell us about yeah. Lisa, because mm. I have found that I'm going to lump you in with entrepreneurs. And I found that 100% sure. of entrepreneurs are doing what they love based on the struggles that they've gone through themselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I, I want to learn your connection to you growing up and being a teenager or whatever struggles you went through and how you decided, because what you're doing is a big deal. It's not just a little help. It's a lot of help. 
So let's go back and talk and tell me, tell me <laughs> your story. Sure. You know, and I actually really love this approach that, that you take because I think it is important for listeners to know more about why we do what we do, because I think that personal connection to our work is what fuels it and keeps us going when it gets really hard, when it's thankless, when the money doesn't look like it's coming in. It's definitely for me going back to why I'm doing these things. And, and for me growing up, things were really, really great until about seventh grade in my life. And my parents started a process of divorcing that took a while. And I think like in, in a lot of divorces, the kids get lost in that shuffle and parents being angry at each other, sometimes take it out on their children. And that was the case in my family. So there started to be a lot of turmoil emotionally, physical abuse and sexual abuse. And so I felt very trapped. I felt very alone. Um, I didn't have a therapist. And um, I became very uh, depressed as a young person at 13, 14, 15. And fortunately, I had a really good support network of friends. Yet at the same time, we all turned to alcohol and drugs very young, like at 13, 14, and 15. And I now know as an adult, it was self-medicating the emotional pain at the time, I thought, I'm just having fun doing what other people are doing. But I, as I look back, it didn't always feel fun. It felt like there was this need to escape. And again, I didn't know that as a young person. That's been in hindsight as I've gotten older. And now as I work with teenagers, being able to, to see that dilemma within them. So I, I feel like I, I made it through growing up, my adolescence, and um from five years old, my parents actually found a note that I scribbled saying that I want to be a psychiatrist when I grow up. And so my mom was a psychiatric nurse, my dad's a doctor, so I grew up in a medical family. And, and so that wasn't so unusual, but from a young age, I felt empathic and just caring about other people and wanting them to feel better. And so throughout the process of, I, I started therapy at 21 and realized I have a host that I, I was abused, I experienced trauma, and that it, it results in feeling low self-esteem, you know, a hard time valuing oneself. I had a hard time valuing myself and uh, found myself in my dating relationships, not being treated like I wanted, often mimicking aspects of trauma and abuse. And so I started at 21 to, my therapist helped me make all these connections and, and fill in the dots. And my parents actually ha were supportive eventually and, and saw that, okay, yes, we dropped the ball here in some really large ways and, and doing some of that repair work with me. And, um, but a lot of it was on my own. So anyone listening that's experienced abuse and trauma, you don't need the approval or engagement of your family or whoever it was that, that hurt you or caused you to to feel trauma and and such like you can really do that healing work on your own and my therapist was just really instrumental and that's what I knew I was going to be a therapist I wanted to help other people heal and particularly adolescent clients who I just feel such an affinity for I think it's such a rough age Jen and I know you're a mom of 18 like <laughs> you know you know as a parent um, just, just the challenges that young people face without any trauma or abuse. And then adding that extra layer, I, I think our young people need to really be supported. 
I agree. I think kids that grow up in idyllic families, both parents there, maybe mom stayed home while you were growing up and parents were loving. There wasn't a lot of financial stress. Those, those kids aren't unscathed in the process. It's not just, it, you know, I think if I could skip any two years, it would be seventh and eighth grade. Those are really, really difficult years for kids. And if you, you're right, you throw in that extra layer and it's not a little layer. So yeah. I want to go back. I have a couple questions. First of all, I think it's so great that your parents had this note from when you were five. I know. It's so <laughs> cool. And they gave it to me recently. It's so awesome. You need to frame that. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a little bit more than, you know, being empathetic. <laughs> that's that's kind of big and um, that's the universe talking to you so yeah. you said when your parents split up you're totally right i'm i'm on the same page with you where they they argue and you get caught in the crossfire but if things were okay how did in that crossfire physical and or sexual abuse occur actually and i don't often talk about this it's 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 a bit difficult to be honest and transparent because I really, my family, we've come to a place of through a lot of healing, a lot of work, and they're really being accountable for things that the abuse started younger. And, you know, I now know in my own journey, they came from backgrounds of abuse and trauma and repeated what they they knew. And, and it's not right. It's not okay. And anyone out there, it's not okay that, that you've been abused. Nothing excuses that. Yet, um, over the years, I've been fortunate to be able to come to a place of, of their being accountable for those abuses and traumas. So that's actually been immensely helpful for me. Yet before those amends came, I found the peace within myself to set myself free that I didn't need someone else's apology or approval. I learned to validate my own sense of what was right, what was wrong, and learned to be my own parent. I learned to remother myself, to refather myself, and then develop a circle of spiritual mothers that have nurtured me emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. I found glass art when I was 21, and my mentor, Jean Koss, is also a father figure to me and really provided support and believed in me even when I didn't, when I was learning to raise my self-esteem and confidence. I've had mentors in social work, Deborah Volker, uh, who really was a wonderful role model of what an empowered woman looks like, sounds like, speaks like. So I've been fortunate that to have really strong role models throughout my adolescent and adult life. And I seek them out. I seek out mentors now, Jen. Like it's important to me to always have at least one mentor, if not two or three, that, that I look to and, and can help me gain, gain wisdom and, and such. I love that you pointed out that you don't need their approval or um, apology because most people, in, from my perspective, most people aren't going to get that from yeah. the family member or friend who created physical or sexual or any kind of abuse, that extra layer, like you said. A lot of the time, there people don't even want to go there and talk to them at all. Right. So right. I, I love driving that point home. You are very blessed that you've had that in your journey, but it right. absolutely, yeah, it absolutely is not 
necessary. So I did pick up though that you are you found something to do the glass blowing that you love that built your self esteem, but it also fueled a a passion. Yeah. At twenty one. So how important? Let's talk about that from your therapy standpoint. When people are really struggling with those self esteem and working through those traumas and those issues, how important is it, or can it be in that? self-esteem building process to find that something? You know, Jen, I think it's really important because I think a lot of us have been taught to believe and our culture really validates and values the outward rewards, extrinsic rewards of, um, you know, like a large social media following, for, for example, to just be current with the times that I know a lot of people I work with, you know, being valued on social media, getting likes, being popular, having a certain income and lifestyle. And these are all externally driven and they don't give us lasting happiness. As I think you and anyone listening knows by experience, they're definitely great and they're great perks. So it's wonderful to have that kind of abundance. I've learned the internal abundance is what really keeps you going, what really makes you happy, what really helps you get up every day and want to greet the day and be excited for what will come, what will unfold, that it's through having meaning and purpose by doing things and even just knowing your own worth, like in the universe, like just knowing we are valuable, just sitting here doing nothing and and really inhabiting that space psychologically and spiritually, like a deep rooting into value, your value and worth. And, and I've finally at, at almost 48, like, I feel like it's, it's just happening. Like I get it. Like I see my true value and worth not being attached to even any of these things that I do, but by who I am. And so that I'm inspired to share that message and just, you know, for people to really breathe into that. That was one of the next things <sighs> I was going to ask you about is yeah. I asked you what you do because you're giving value to other people. But then my n- immediate next question is, who are you? And where did you mm. come from? And why do you do what you do? And I think so often we just stop at, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And we don't take it another step further. We go to networking events and people are like, so what do you do? Like, well, I run, I raise kids, I cook dinner. You know, I do a lot of things. But they're asking a what is your job? And let me put you in an income bracket or a social media like bracket. And yes, I wanted to drive that point home that um, who you are is far more important than what you do. And so I love the glass blowing. See, I learned something about you. Thank you. Yeah. And I love your question about who are you? Because I think, you know, that is defined in some sense, like you said, by our profession and our, and our hobbies and what's important to us. Those are important facets. I think it's also important to tune into our, our, uh, the aspects of like, for me, I'm, I'm generous and I'm kind and I'm philanthropic. And, you know, sometime I, I can like really beat the drum of, of when I see injustice or sense it, I get really angry about that. And I, I want people to, you know, uphold morality and do the right thing. And so, you know, I think we're also these other qualities that aren't defined by necessarily a, a job title, for instance. Well, and look at the layers of this. So what you did is patented something so that people in wheelchairs could do the glass work. That's what yes. you did. But yes. why you did it is where the power comes from. Yeah. And how well, and you why, did it. 
Yeah. When, when my friend Michael was injured and had to become wheelchair bound, I, I saw him have to slowly sell off his, his, the things he loved, snowmobiles and skis and different vehicles and a beautiful ranch in Colorado that he would hike on, on his property and swim in the lake. And I was there with him and his wife helping them and just seeing how his life went from this huge life to like getting narrowed down by his physical his new physical limitation and he went through an intense time of being suicidally depressed and coming to terms with okay i'm going to do everything i know to to walk again until then i'm going to decide to be happy and i'm going to rig up the vehicles i do have to still use my tractor in the field and i'm going to do what i can to modify these things and and do what i can in colorado with accommodations and so that inspired me about glass art like what if i couldn't do glass art because of a disability and what about people with disabilities that don't have access to this art form that's been around since egyptian times and it, it's so fun and it's so healing to make something out of molten liquid glass and the possibilities are endless so it took it took about six years to get the u.s patent it was a very extensive laborious process and um but i got it and i'm so excited it's what i want to leave as a legacy with the yes foundation i work on it like nights and weekends and when i can because i'm i'm busy podcasting and putting this book out and so it's what i do on the side to leave and um, I'm open to opportunities. When I hear people talk about disabilities or wounded warriors, you know what, I feel like that's the universe saying, well, here's an opening to talk. And I hope for people to support this work and you know, like help it expand faster than what I can alone. I would think as a therapist, you would see the parallels between my trauma and your trauma and someone else's trauma, <laughs> although there may be, you know, he's in a wheelchair and, and you were sexually abused and someone else has some, something completely different. But the parallels, I, I feel like people put themselves, and I, don't, I think it's inadvertent, but they put themselves in this bubble of aloneness. Mm, yeah. And, and that low self-esteem. And I, I love the parallels between all of us and our struggle and that journey and how we get through it. So do you do anything in your therapy Tell me a little bit more about your therapy that you do, especially with the adolescents. Cause you know, I did foster care. So when, yes. when you mentioned this, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, if anybody needs this stuff, it's these adolescent kids that are going to be the adults for our future yes. and Absolutely. raising children, by the way, and taking care yes. of us. Yes. So tell me about the parallels because we, we all, any of us can have anxiety and depression and be suicidal and feel in that alone bubble. So Take me there to those parallels and <coughs> how we can bridge those gaps, maybe. Sure. And I know when you and I spoke privately, I've worked with foster parents that have adopted children. And so for years, like that was kind of earlier in my career. And now I, I work more with kids and adolescents in particular, like we've talked about. And that experience of being alone is, I think, one of the most dangerous things that occurs in our mind because it feels like there is no one and nothing and that there is nothing for us. And that is such a dangerous and scary place to be. And it's not true. So for anyone listening, it is not true. No matter how true it feels, it is totally false. And there are people, places and things, seen and non-seen here to support you. And it takes 
um, really getting up. I found to really get up from where you're actually sitting or laying down and even just taking a walk. I encourage the kids I work with and, and ask their parents, like, you know, to allow them to step outside, allow them to engage in activities, be it sports or art or hanging out with friends, even have the friends come to their house. Community is important to, um, to just find all the little pockets doing activities by yourself or with others that help you connect to your own heart. And um, for me, it's been a process. Sometimes it's journaling, sometimes it's meditating or yoga. And so I think with adolescents, you know, they, they like to, in my experience, spend time with their friends on social media. And, and that's like a double-edged sword, as we all know. Like social media can connect us and alienate us. So I encourage the adolescents I work with to put the phone down and to take some time each day not to be electronically connected. And um, so are these some of the things you're wondering? Am I, yeah, am I, I mean, I just love everything. I just want to take it in whatever direction it goes. Yes. What I see in the world today, you can go to the bank or anywhere and you see everyone look staring down at their phone. Like in this, it, to, in, this is my opinion, that they're in this desperate need to connect. But yet if they just looked up, everyone's mm. standing around them. Yes right there looking for the same thing and yeah. social media is fault in the sense that it's generally for the majority our best self i mean if i have to take 10 pictures of my plate of food to get the right one for my instagram <laughs> post <laughs> yes dinner maybe isn't that great <laughs> yes but, um i think sometimes if you just put your hands in your pockets and put your head up and look up you realize that the ability to connect is right they right in front of us and has that been a difference in your therapy because you brought up social media and definitely connecting yeah and it's interesting you bring that up even about instagram last night my two little sisters were over and they are of the millennial generation and they told me something i didn't know and so listeners listening you may already know this but we all know instagram that people in their in their peer group some of them have like a finsta where it's a fake instagram but it's about their true life it's what they're really doing it's not all the fun necessarily great looking things but it's who they really are and they only give that they only give their closest friends access. And I, that was so disheartening to me because I think their Finsta should be their Insta. Like it should yep. be, you should, I would love for every young person, every person to feel like they can put their authentic self out on social media and not have to have separate accounts because they're scared of being judged or ridiculed or like, or that it's not cool enough. So did you know about that? I do know that they have private accounts and they share them. And I, I didn't realize how much of a separation there was between yeah. the two. Yeah. I have a daughter who has that and I've asked her because I'm not on that one. Yeah. So there may be things I don't want to see about your personal life, your real, true, authentic life. Right. But sure. it's really a lot more who you are. I've always told my kids, people, when you meet them, regardless of how are going to like you or not like you, or, you know, you go to a party and you might just not click with people. Yeah. And it's no big deal because every one of us has that experience. We've been on both ends of it, but what is worse is not being your authentic self. And then always wondering if people, they, they don't like the real you because they don't know who that is. When mm -hmm. you are your real raw vulnerable self and all of my dorky qualities, you know, for example, yeah. I know that the people who love me really love me. 
Yes. Because I'm really being myself. Yeah. And instead of now we have the separate Instagram to portray yeah. the me I want to be. Yeah. That's crazy to me. What a you know, what a brain thing for them. <laughs> I know. And I think what you're saying is is causing me to think about it. And I know you, I'm sure everyone listening has heard, um, you know, if somebody doesn't like you, it's not about you. You know, all those quotes, like, it's not about you. It's not even your business. It's not your problem. All these things that are intended for us to feel better, but they don't because we feel rejected. We feel hurt. We do wonder, what did I do or not do? And so in recent times, what's helped me with this is as I experience rejections or feeling dismissed, you know, in my personal life, is, is that like, it's really about energy and our resonance. And all of us have a certain energy, like if we're this like vibrating barometer energy field and people at our same energy level barometer, like, like grab onto us, we connect like magnets that attract and those that don't, we repel. And I've started to really be able to sink into when someone is repelled or vice versa. It's really a good thing because I'm going to attract exactly who is perfect to be my friend and and so that's kind of helped me settle into like we really are vibrating energy and we attract the same energy like if i'm a seven and you're a seven we attract if i'm a seven they're a five we don't and that's just kind of helped me simplify it all and that's, a great, that's, of it. that's an awesome way to think of it and i mean we attract enough other sevens that are still not great people like you you had the example where you were dating you were attracting the same boyfriend you're attracting the same dating partner from the negative aspects of the people in your life in the past. Right. And then, yeah, that's when I was younger and, and now I'm gay. So even in my, in my thirties dating women, um, I would attract women that seemed to, you know, I felt not seen. I didn't feel heard. And that's how I felt growing up a lot of the time. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. I, instead of blaming them for not seeing me or hearing me, I'm going to look at my percentage of, you know, how I'm not showing up for myself, how I'm not speaking my opinion because I want to be liked. Some of the things you mentioned, I wasn't being necessarily my true self because I wanted to please them, to like me and be who I thought, you know, they would find desirable instead of being who I really am and letting the cards fall where they may, knowing that I was me. And if it didn't work out, it's just because it didn't work out. It's, so does that kind of yeah and it's so yeah. hard so i and i know someone who's bisexual was dating yeah. men predominantly dated a woman what do you think of this woman you know the penis isn't making a difference here you're dating <laughs> the same personality yes yes it's exactly. the same personality yeah. of all of the men the gender didn't make any difference yeah. in the choice yeah it's true okay a jerk is a jerk is a jerk is a jerk whatever you're dating yeah. the same personality and so you know, that sort of energy that you're talking about, I love that thinking about it that way. We are retracting, attracting and repelling that energy. It, it, it supersedes gender, race, age, it does. everything. Everything. And so in your friends and in your dating partners and all of that, you need to look closely. So who, you had your mentor um, in the glass blowing. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I have someone, I call him my adopted dad. He wasn't, oh, but he, I, he was the only dad I ever had. So like I was adopting him. Um, and so I get what you mean by that. I, I needed to have a dad figure who was positive in my life and that was him. And so 
in my mind, I just adopted him. He was my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do you, can you think of times in your life where something or something or some one pivotal happened that shifted the trajectory a little bit in you, in your energy and how you felt? Was there a relationship? Was there, and how did you break the habit of those relationships? I know you were younger because we're yeah. the same age. Yeah. So I'll start with the answer is coming up more easily about as far as breaking my patterns and in relationships, both intimate and, and friendship. I, I really had to look at my percentage of, and make a decision that I can create the relationships, the kind of relationships I truly want by not compromising by, and, and being a loving person, being an open person, yet discerning, like we're talking about that energy, discerning the energy of a person and just trusting my gut that usually we get a sense about people and on a scale of like, oh my gosh, I love this person to like, oh, I just, I'm physically repelled to anywhere along the middle. So I've learned to listen to what my body is telling me about someone to lean in closer or take some space. And that's been immensely helpful to um, have some really valuable, (coughs) pardon me, I'm getting over a cold, have some really meaningful relationships. So that feels easier to answer because I'm really in the flow and current of that right now in my life, like really getting it, like, okay, like uh, just really smoothly being able to flow with people and, and not with people and feeling more confidence there. The other question had to do with you. Can you can you say it to me again, please, Jen? Yeah. So, are there experiences, um, things that happened to you, events that happened, or people that really were pivotal and changed kind of the trajectory? Because I, I know as somebody who is abused and has anxiety or depression or any kind of suicidal thoughts, your paths your paths could have been quite dark, mm-hmm. and it ended yeah. up being quite the opposite. So, yeah. What okay. was a little yeah. Mr. Destiny? Okay. Like- thank you for that. Yes, yeah. that was, thank you. You know, cause yes, I, I have experienced intense anxiety, intense depression, suicidal thoughts and feelings. And what got me through every one of those times were my clients thinking about the people I work with and how much I really value being here alive to, to be of service to them and how much I just love that engagement, that connection. It feels so sacred. It feels so authentic to sit with people and and what I do. And it just transcends, like it just made, like it helped me see this depression, this anxiety, this suicidal feeling. It's, it's not, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to make it through because like, I want to see so-and-so on my couch on Monday. And even my pets, my cats, I adore my kitty cats. And just the thought I couldn't imagine them not having me to take care of them. So I think it helps for anyone listening that has, is experiencing suicidal feelings and thoughts to really reach out and just think about even one thing you care about, a person you care about. And it helped me to see my sisters. I love my sisters. So when I started to look at my life from a different vantage point, outside of the pain I was feeling that it was like, wow, like I'm going to figure a way to get through this shit because I don't want my clients to hear that I'm not here uh, anymore. Like it just felt like, like really my work has been a driving force in my life in a positive way. I love that. 
Thank you. And that this isn't a destination. I think people get so caught up on the destination. They don't realize that this is all just a continuation of a journey. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and some parts of the journey really suck. Um, and yeah. some parts of it are really beautiful, but, but it's all just part of that continuation of the journey. I think yeah. instead of striving for the destination and the perfection, it's not there. Neither one, no. they're not there. No, you're so right. And it helps to just free ourselves from it. Like yeah. to, you know, like it's, it's, it really is a journey. Once we achieve something we, we desperately have longed for and hoped for, there's going to be something else. We're always reaching for, for something. And that's the excitement of life. And to really try to enjoy the process. I know this is on memes and gifts and, but to really, really find what it takes for you to enjoy this process. And for me, it's often been just slowing down on my oh. goals. Just like, stop, like, come on, Lisa, like just stop and breathe. And I literally, I stop and smell flowers, especially in Los Angeles that are blooming roses everywhere. I went back this weekend. So to really just pause to, like you said, to look up, look around, get your head out of your phone, off the computer for a bit every day. I don't take my phone to the gym every day, every day. I have like, you know, cellular free time. And I encourage everyone to do that once every single day of your life. And it, it helps. We really need that space and time to be with our own thoughts. I agree. I mean, we had to, it, it's so interesting coming from you and I growing up, I remember getting a microwave. <laughs> you know, we, oh, drove yeah. a, we, drove, <laughs> we drove a Vega with an eight track deck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All aging, that stuff. All and that. now I can do my banking on my phone. I can yeah. Venmo you in like two seconds. And yeah. you know, that, that leap in technology just for you and I, since we were growing up as kids, um, it's so huge and it's so easy to get dependent and it's so cool. It does so many great things, but I, it was difficult for me bringing that on and raising kids because yeah. like go play in mud and stuff. Exactly. Thick <laughs> man. And um, to well, have those. That's been an interesting journey to raise your kids in this digital era, not having been raised in it yourself and seeing a lot of the positives of not being raised in, in this time. And understanding the positives of the technology. I mean, I'm yeah. all, I'm, I'm all for it, but you know, we had to create it like years ago, you are, dinner is, is a cell phone free. There is no technology at dinner. We still do the exact same things, that, but you have to really set it up and you have to be adamant about it. Like this is because even connecting in your own family, <laughs> you know, at your yeah. own dinner table, you can just go days without speaking. And, and oh, that alone bubble is happening right in your own home with your own people that you chose to spend your time with, your friends yes. and family. And you've put yourself in your alone bubble, which is the scariest place to be for, for me in my mind. Mm -hmm. So... I love all of the advice you've given, all the things we've talked about. This is fantastic. If you, had, if you had one thing you would tell people to get from where they're at to connecting and out of their comfort zone, mm -hmm. do you have a recommendation? I mean, we said put the phone down. You said leave your phone at home. That's a perfect one. Yeah. Are there any other things that you encourage your clients to do when you're dealing with anxiety, especially, because I have a couple of kids that are, connecting is very scary. It can be very scary. So how, what? You know, 
there is, as you asked that question, something popped in my head. And I know we didn't script any of this, yeah. so it's all organic, yeah. which I love. And um, what popped in my head is to, to listeners, for you all to think of what scares you the most, make a list of the top three to five things that really terrify you to do. But at the same time, you have a desire for them. They just seem so far in, of the, in the deep end of the swimming pool that it's like you'd be wading out into water where your feet don't touch. And that feels so scary. I would suggest you write down those three to five things and you start making a plan to do them. And the ones that are more easy to do, you just jump in and schedule to do them. If it's something physical like rappelling down a cliff, rock climbing, for instance. But if it's something like for me, deciding to start a podcast, it delighted me and it terrified me. And I feel like I argued with myself. I argued with God. I was like, nope, I'm not doing it. And going out to Los Angeles four and a half years ago, I had friends that were podcasters and had shows and it just seemed so easy for them. And I thought, well, that's so cool. I'd love to do that. And then one night, you know, the little voice inside was like, we'll do it. And I was like, but I can't. And I gave so many excuses and I started to get anxiety. Like, cause like part of me wanted it, but part of me is like, there's no way. And I, and so I, I really, I said almost out loud, okay, if Marianne Williamson, an author that I love who wrote a return to love right now, she's running for us president on the democratic ticket. If Marianne Williamson will come on my podcast that I don't have yet, I will start a podcast. And I had been seeing her live in Los Angeles, and I actually ran into her in the restroom of the venue and met and gave her my card, had a conversation. And so I just emailed her. And she gets possibly thousands of emails a day, just her public email. And I was like, Marianne, it's Lisa Ty here. We met in the restroom last weekend at your speaking event. If I started a podcast, would you be my guest? And I thought, okay, I don't ever have to do this podcast because I'm not going to hear from her. And within three hours, she herself wrote me back. She's like, Lisa, it was delightful to meet you. I'd love to come on your podcast when you get it started. Let me know. And it was about two years later that I interviewed her on her book, Tears to Triumph. And so that's when I knew it's like something that outrageous happening was like a sign. You can do it. And I just learned. I just started my first show and I still get some anxiety talking to a stranger about their work, but I feel better after every show and I've gotten so much positive feedback from it. And so I would encourage listeners, make a list of the things that scare you the most that you also have a slight desire to do and you start making a, a, a plan to achieve those things because you're going to grow immensely in the that, process. That was the best example ever because Thanks. I think I was thinking skydiving. Like, you know, that's one of them. That would be, yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, like, I was like, oh shit, Do I'm going to have to skydive now. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm going to interview you. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Maybe one of your kids wants to go with you. Oh, probably a lot of them. Yes. I bet. Um, yeah. So I, anyway, but then when you said podcast, I'm like, oh, not physical. So what? I'm glad that was your example. Cause mine were physical. Right. No, for me, writing my book was one of them too. It's taken three and a half years. I didn't know where to start. I'm sure I took longer and spent more money than a, an author that's already published, but I figured it out and the book's coming out in 2020 and it's been so rewarding to figure it out and have to Google things. And, and, you know, just, I think, whatever you're scared of doing, but you also secretly want, just start, get on the path. And it's okay if it takes years. A lot of really meaningful things do take time to grow. Oh, 
I love that. We can end there. A lot of meaningful things take time to grow. Lisa, thank you so much for being on. This was so fun. Jen, thank you. I love what you're doing and look forward to having you on my show. Yay. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.